Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning, Voice America listeners, and welcome to Solutions and Strategies, Living with the Challenge with Dr. Sean. We're so happy to have you with us today as we have a very interesting show and really some great guests today. Over the last two weeks, we've talked about first trauma, and then last week we discussed anxiety in typical developing people and in neurologically challenged and developmentally disabled persons. Right now, we want to con- we continue to see the world filled with stress and trauma. Children are being exposed to more and more negative events. Remember a few weeks back, we discussed adverse child events. Kids can only handle so much. They're dealing with so much right now. There's so much around them. And again, stress and trauma and anxiety are not always something that the child may directly experience. There's vicarious experiences also where just being exposed. I mean, right now, woke up this morning to North Korea indicating that they're going to bomb at an unimaginable way in an unimagined in an unimaginable time. I mean that kind of statement just puts out anxiety there and then the news puts out more and more information which gets individuals more anxious and then we're walking around buzzing with anxiety and it affects our children. So when when we're exposed and when they're exposed to negative events it's going to affect their lives greatly. It affects their ability to think and to learn. And sadly, and most sadly, it interferes with their, if not destroys, their ability to play and enjoy their lives as children, you know, as children should be able to do. You know, we see so many kids that have gone through significant events, kids in Syria, kids in hurricane areas, kids in Puerto Rico right now. I mean, these are the big, big traumas. But a lot of our children deal with violence around them, negative events occurring, parents that are not in control of themselves, therefore not in control of the lives around them. They're exposed to drugs, violence, abuse themselves, physical and emotional. So today we're not so much talking about kids with autism or developmental disabilities. We're really more talking about that psychological uh, uh, injury that can occur when exposed to psychological trauma. We spoke a lot about anxiety last week. Remember that people with anxiety and kids will show two things. They'll show ego, discomfort, and they'll demonstrate frustration and physical discomfort. So if the kids are stressing out and they're getting more and more anxious, one thing that we're going to see is that they're, they're not going to feel good about themselves. Their egos are going to feel weak. They are going to feel as though they are unable to do things that they want to be able to do and the physical or the physical discomfort and the level of tolerance around frustration becomes very very small because kids can only handle again so much and because of that they start to demonstrate various types of of acting out behaviors medical issues now we're going to discuss that today 
and we're going to discuss that with our guests later on. Psychological trauma is a type of damage to the mind that occurs as a result of, of a severely distressing event. Trauma is often the result of an overwhelming amount of stress that exceeds one's ability to cope. Now, let me say that again. Trauma is often the result of an overwhelming amount of stress that exceeds one's ability to cope. It's not just a one-time event. Most people, most kids can deal with the one-time event. It's the ongoing events that don't allow their brains to rest, therefore their bodies can't cope with the amount of stress around them. They integrate the emotions involved with that experience into their bodies. The traumatic event involves one's experiences or repeating events of being overwhelmed that can be precipitated in weeks, years, or even decades as a person struggles to cope with the immediate circumstances, eventually leading to serious long-term negative consequences. And with their kids, it affects them even quicker. That because they don't have the adult level coping skills, they don't have years of experience of dealing with problem solving, they can't deal as easily with and cope as easily with the circumstances that they're put under. So you start to see the kids react fairly quickly and pretty significantly to those events. People react in similar, well, react in similar events differently. In other words, not all people who experience a potentially traumatic event will actually become psychologically traumatized. Some people may have more coping skills than others. This discrepancy in risk rate can be attributed to protective factors. Some individuals may have that enable them to cope with the trauma. They are related to temperamental and environmental factors. Some factors or some examples are, are mild exposure to stress early in life. The resiliency characteristics and active seeking of help. So sometimes when somebody has dealt with issues early on, they build up a ability to deal with those. So some of these kids that are coming out of Iraq, Syria, other war-torn areas may be able to deal with it better than if you had an American kid deal with the same thing because they are have built up a ability to deal with certain situations and expect certain situations that resiliency allows them to persevere through it. Very challenging, very difficult for any child. And even if the child has resiliency, there's only so much, so much of a level that a child can take. And after a while, their body and soul starts to break down from it. The DSM-5, which is a way of diagnosing different um, psychiatric disabilities, defines trauma as direct personal experience of an event that involves actual or threatened death or serious injury, threat to one's physical integrity, witnessing an event that involves the above experience, learning about unexpected or violent death, serious harm, threat of death or injury experienced by a family member or close associate. Memories associated with trauma are implicit, they're pre-verbal and cannot be recalled all the time, but can be triggered by stimuli in the in vivo environment. And what that means is that certain things can come up and 
can trigger old memories, can trigger old feelings, and the child may not really be aware, or the individual may not really be aware of the fact that these triggers are occurring. And they start to react to them without, well, we talked about sometimes things can be in a uh, a pre-verbal way, not really knowing where the what where the understanding is is or where the how the event is affecting them. Let me re trigger myself here and get back on track. The person's response to aversive details of a traumatic event involve intense fear, helplessness, or horror. In children, it's manifested as disorganized or agitated behaviors. Traumas can can be caused by a wide variety of events, but there are a few common aspects. Psychologically, traumatic experiences often involve physical trauma that threatens one's survival and sense of security. Typical causes and dangers of psychological trauma include harassment, embarrassment, abandonment, abusive relationships, rejection, codependency, physical assault, sexual assault, battery, employment discrimination, police brutality, judicial corruption, misconduct, bullying, paternalism. Paternalism is a very interesting topic, Um, something I discussed with our guest last night. It's when a child or an individual begins to look up to a certain individual, maybe like a gang leader or even an abusive adult that leads a group like a scout group or a school group of some sort and the kids look up to that individual but even though they're doing them harm so they try and act and be the same as that individual which may be abusive and aggressive themselves and they see that as the way of being so they don't see necessarily that they're in a trauma they see more that they are there as a uh, uh, mentor of the person that or mentee of a mentor so domestic violence indoctrination into various groups being the victim of an alcoholic parent the threat of witnessing violence particularly in childhood life-threatening medical conditions there's even medication induced trauma where the child has had a very bad medical experience and has caused them a huge traumatic event Catastrophic natural disasters, such as earthquakes and volcano eruptions, large-scale transportation accidents. These are all things that have an interpersonal and and cause psychological trauma. Long-term exposure to situations such as extreme poverty or milder forms of abuse, such as verbal abuse, exists independently of physical trauma, but still generates psychological trauma. So even though it may seem like a lesser level, quite often the verbal abuse can cause as much if not more trauma to the individual as any physical abuse. Some theories suggest that childhood trauma can increase one's risk for mental disorders including post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, substance abuse, childhood adversity is associated with neuroticism during adulthood 
parts of the brain in a growing child are developing in a sequential and hierarchical manner. For from least complex to most complex, the brain's neurons are designed to change in response to the constant external signals and stimulation receiving and storing new information. This is why last week I was talking about that part of the brain, that bed nucleus terminalis that never turns off when we're stressed out. So when we return from our break, we'll continue to talk a little bit about, continue our conversation about trauma and bring on our guests. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice. Much of it conflicting. Some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso. To bust through the myths about feeding your baby, Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back. I hope you've been able to settle in a bit. I'm sorry, that first part of the first segment had a little bit of technical difficulty there, so I got a little distracted, but let's get back on track. Last week, we had talked a lot about the brain and how kids get overwhelmed by the stimulus around them. Their brains can't shut off because they're constantly on, and it affects them highly. This allows the brain to continually respond to its surroundings and promote survival, But this, as we discussed last week, can overwhelm the person's ability to exist socially. Childhood abuse tends to have the most complications with long-term effects out of all forms of trauma because it 
it occurs during the most sensitive and critical stages of psychological development. It could also lead to violent behavior, triggers and cues act as reminders of the trauma and can cause anxiety and other associated emotions. Often the person can completely can be completely unaware of what these triggers are. In many cases, this may lead to the person suffering from traumatic from traumatic disorders to engage in disruptive or self-destructive coping mechanisms, often without being fully aware of the nature of the causes of their own actions. So again, quite often what happens is a person who's suffering from this stuff doesn't really realize it and they start engaging in a lot of coping mechanisms that may not be so healthy for them. In fact, often are not very healthy. Consequently, intense feelings of anger may frequently surface. This process involved trauma therapy and what the processes are, the processes in, in therapy for trauma are first psychoeducation, it's like information, got to understand the coping mechanisms that are there. Secondly, emotional regulation, identifying, countering, discriminating, grounding thoughts and emotions from internal construction to external representation. So we have to start to be able to understand what's going on inside so that we can understand how we are externally representing those things. If we realize, oh, I'm acting out a lot, a lot of people don't want to be around me, and why is that? Oh, you're angry. Why are you angry? Oh, those things are coming up. Cognitive processing. It's that transforming of negative perceptions into and beliefs to positive ones. I talked about cognitive behavioral therapy last week, and one of the main ideas in cognitive behavioral therapy is to transform negative irrational belief systems. So when those activating events occur, those triggers, the behavior doesn't have to be uh, a response of agitation or aversion. It can be a problem-solving coping response. But that has to happen by that person being seeing positive things in themselves. Again, with that ego discomfort in place, it's quite often that the person's not going to feel so great about themselves and not be able to really focus on positive aspects of their life. So we have to reconsider, we have to go through cognitive reconsideration or let's say another way like reframing of the way one thinks about something. I talked about the use of thought chains last week and a thought chain allows you to lay out what your belief systems are and then see where they break down in an irrational mode. Trauma processing Systematic desensitization to certain things that may trigger your anxiety, smells, sounds, visuals, response, activation, and counter-conditioning. You've been conditioned to respond in a certain way, in a certain fashion to events. The idea here is to give you new ways so that you can have some extinction of those emotional responses. Deconstructing your disparity. The emotional versus the reality state, being able to see the two. These are all areas that we look at when we are attempting to do therapy inside of trauma. Now, another area is emotional processing. How do we reconstruct perceptions? How do we look at beliefs that are erroneous and build expectations that are positive? How do we work with the trauma-related fears that are auto-activated and habituated in, and, and put them into new life contexts, providing ways to deal with crisis, 
to code your own emotions and see what the appropriate cognitions are, meaning that the rational belief systems rather than those triggering, activating events of irrational belief systems. Experiential processing, that ability to visualize the achievement and the relief of state and the relaxation state, to be able to actually visualize and be able to put yourself in a place where you feel a relaxation. One of the areas, this is going back to the beginning of studying uh, of trauma, French neurologist Jean-Martin Charcot argued that in the 1890s, the psychological trauma was the origin of all instances of mental illness. And, and at that point, it was known as hysteria. It was more connected to women than it was to men. But this traumatic hysteria often manifested as a paralysis that followed physical trauma, typically years later from what was described. Now, later on, too, we saw people that were coming back from the war, coming back from World War One, and they had what was called shell shock. But shell shock was what we now call PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And these individuals were thought of as lesser, not able to handle the big world out there. So there was a lot of trauma around having a traumatic event. So a lot of men did not go forward and speak about it because they would be thought of as weaker. Children need our support. They need to be able to deal with situations and cope with chronic chronic incidents that are occurring. Children exposed to chronic and pervasive trauma are especially vulnerable to the impact of subsequent trauma. When children, adolescents, and families come to the attention of helping professionals, the identified trauma may not be the one that's the most distressing to the child. For this reason, gathering thorough, detailed history of trauma exposure is essential. Now, this is really, really important to think about. This happens to a lot of kids. Kids come out of a very, very traumatic situation, very difficult situation. They're put into therapy. They're put into residential treatment. They're put into counseling. They're put on medication. They become the identified patient rather than looking at the environmental factors that are involved in that child's trauma. So we have this kid that's been exposed to all sorts of, of horrible situations and he is the one that's in therapy or she is the one and this often makes the kid feel like they are at fault for something completely out of their control so when we think about working with kids we, we always go back to the, to Carl Jung's statement that prior to observing a child observe oneself as an adult. It's a very simple concept. Before you start looking at others, look at yourself to see how yourself is interfering or interacting with that child's life. Children and adolescents vary in their nature of their responses to, to traumatic events. The reactions of individual youths may be influenced by developmental level, by their ethnicity, their cultural factors, previous trauma exposure, what available resources there are, and pre-existing child and family problems. However, nearly all children and, and adolescents express some kind of distress or behavioral change 
in the acute phase of recovery from a traumatic event. Many of the reactions displayed by children and adolescents who have been exposed to traumatic events are similar or identical to behaviors that our mental health professionals see on a daily basis in their practice. They may include development of new fears, separation anxieties, sleep disturbances, nightmares, sadness, loss of interest in normal activities, a, reduce, a reduction of concentration, decline of schoolwork, anger, somatic complaints, kids feeling sickly all the time, irritability, functioning in the family, the peer group, or school may be impaired because of such symptoms. Over the weeks, we've discussed various ways to help children, and we discussed various types of programs that can be put into place. Last week, I talked a lot about cognitive behavioral therapy methods and interventions where we uh, organize the environment so that there's a lot of planning that takes place so that there is not as much worry and anxiety involved. That we keep kids very fully informed of what is the activities are, what's going on in their, their, their lives on a particular day, if things are going to change. We allow them to take ownership of their environment by knowing their schedules, by understanding where other people are coming from. I talked last week about the use of a social story. And social stories are the idea of teaching theory of mind. Quite often, and theory of mind is being able to understand where somebody else is coming from, quite often that person who is in, involved with a lot of trauma cannot see the forest through the trees, cannot see beyond their immediate injury. Thus, they can't see where other people are coming from and they can't see how they affect others. So this is not just children with developmental disabilities by any means, nor is it just children with autism. Children under consi consistent psychological stress are unable to empathize as easy, and they're unable to problem solve when others are in uh, 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 distress. So they may also react in certain ways when they're in distress, and not get how those things affect people around them. So it's very important that we teach that ability for people to understand how their behavior affects others so that they can make choices in regards to whether or not they want to continue to react in the same way to an individual or do they want to make changes so that they have more social interaction. So again, over the weeks we've discussed various types and so I'm so happy that when we come back from our break we're going to bring on Nancy Goodell and, and Ann Garrett. They're the authors of a great children's book which I'll discuss as soon as we return from break. So we look forward to having them. We'll see you in a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. 
At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, listeners. We've been discussing the idea of trauma this morning and trauma in kids. And I'm so happy to now be able to bring on Nancy Goodell and Ann Garrett. They're authors of TLC for Frazzled Kids, Helping Grown-Ups Help Kids, a Therapeutic Learning Curriculum. Nancy Goodell has worked with frazzled folks as a special education teacher, a dance movement therapist, school director, mother and grandmother. Her life's work supports growth-producing interactions between adults and children. Nancy grew up in Nebraska and has lived on both coasts. Currently, she lives in, and works in Southern California and has a new organization, which I believe is called LifeWorks, but she'll have to correct me on that. Um, Anne Garrett has worked with frazzled kids in residential treatment and education for over 30 years. She's also the author of six books for four children, Fins and Flippers, Scales and Nippers, Keeper of the Swamp, Stardusters, Tales of Tales, What's for Dinner, and What's for Lunch. Anne lives, works, and writes in Southern California and has been doing work with children for many years as a bibliotherapist. I met both working at a residential treatment center here in Southern California about 20 years ago. I had the pleasure of being one of their teachers and being under their guide. So welcome, Nancy, and welcome, Anne, to the program this morning. Morning, Sean. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Nancy, I'm going to start with you. Nancy, why don't you tell me a little bit about your history as a teacher and, a, and the therapeutic school founder and administrator? 
Well, Sean, um, I am one of those people who had to really start right at the beginning in terms of understanding how to work with children, the children that you are describing, uh, children who have suffered trauma, stress, abuse, neglect. I was a 22-year-old, well-trained teacher in special ed, and my first class were were children with learning disabilities and physical issues, Uh, sweet children, really quite manageable. So I had an easy beginning. However, as time went on in special education, what happened was that more and more I began to receive children who had experienced the kind of trauma that you described. And truly, I was overwhelmed because these children had behaviors that were not safe for themselves. They were danger to themselves and a danger to others, and I truly did not know how to manage. And it was yes, very scary and very hard. So overwhelming so for so overwhelming yeah. for new teachers, for people who are just trying to help these kids and okay. really not knowing how to do it and how to approach it. So keep going. I'm sorry. I just I totally Correct. agree Absolutely. that it's one of the toughest so I, things. That's right. I have the deepest empathy for anyone who's launching into this kind of work because it is very overwhelming. And what what I had to learn, and what and this is probably my most key point, is that I had to learn how to calm myself. Because in reality, what happened was as I was being exposed to the children who were out of control, I too became out of control. My heart began to race. My voice was screechy and loud. My thoughts were disorganized. And I was totally ineffective. And what Mm -hmm. I had to learn was how to take deep breaths, how to calm myself, how to create a very calm classroom environment, which which came down to things like the colors on the wall, the way that I arranged the equipment, the way that I talked, the way that I moved. And once I began to calm myself, then I began to be able to work with the children. It's the the hardest thing to get a cross to any adult that is dealing with uh, or work I hate to say dealing with working with a child that's gone through trauma is to not take on that trauma themselves because then they've got two problems they got the kids trauma and then they've got the trauma of dealing with the trauma I remember I remember setting up my classroom and spending about two weeks during the summer getting it all ready it was my first classroom there at the residential school and I had everything set up folders for all the kids kids came in I had six kids five kids came in they sat down a couple grumpy grumpy statements but they they barely they basically got to work then my friend Jason came in and Jason (laughs) spent about 10 seconds looking around my room took off his clothes, pooped on himself, and threw it all over the room, and tore everything down off of every wall, 
So within 15 minutes, Jason had made his statement. I remember going to first you at the end of the day and saying, this is completely out of control. I can't handle this by any means. This is not what I am trained to do. I don't know what I'm doing at all. And your response was, well, I understand how hard it can be. Please let me know how you are able to work through it. And then I remember going to Anne and going, Anne, I, I got to have you in the room all the time. I'm in crisis constantly with these kids. And she's like, well, I'm next door if you need me. So it was first about me having to become calm and be ready to accept these kids no matter who they were. And the funniest thing is, just to quickly end that story, that even after I left the residential center, about three years later, Jason showed up at the door. And how did I know that Jason was there? Because unfortunately, Jason ended up in timeout rooms quite often because of his own physical lashing out at people. And when he was in those timeout rooms, he would sing a song. I'm in the hole. I'm down in the hole. So one day I came to work as a psychologist working at a public school. And I was in my room and I hear this. I'm in the hole. I'm down in the hole. And I realized, oh, it's back. And the first thing I did was go to the teacher and let her know how she had to be in a relaxed state in order to take him on. So, yes, you're very, you're right on it that you've got to look at yourself first. And how are you dealing with this as a, uh, as a teacher or as an adult? Sorry, that was a lot of. Yeah, that's good. And Anne will have her stories, and and then I will share about five or six things that I learned that are so basic, things that everyone can do that helped me to regain composure Wonderful. in the classroom. Wonderful. So, Anne, tell us a little about your experience with children. I was lucky enough to work alongside of you, so I know how wonderful of a therapist and a a benefactor you could be to these kids. Tell us how you got started and what your thoughts are around this work. Oh, Miss Ann, we may have lost you. Oh, I started working. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Welcome. My my cell dropped for a second. Um, I started working when I was 14 years old at a uh, therapeutic day camp during the summers. And so I was able to watch some fantastic counselors at work. So by the time I got through and got my college education and started at residential treatment, I'd had some great mentors. Mm. Uh, I started as a child care staff, and I can't sing the praises of child care staff enough because if you can work in a residential treatment center as a successful child care staff, I fear you can do almost anything in life because you're doing five different things at once. Always. What does that What does that mean, Anne? Child care staff versus just that, staffing. That means that you are you are working in a living unit, taking care oh, okay. of disturbed children, and usually about ten at a time. And so you have to structure your program and your day to keep them safe, and to get them to just go through the daily things of life, which is you know get dressed, get showered, you know things of that nature. So you become the surrogate parent. You become the surrogate parent, but in doing so, you know, you have to do it and keep them safe because usually at this stage of residential treatment, a lot of them can be violent. 
And yeah, so and, they, and you may be the surrogate parent, but they you may be the surrogate parent, but they don't trust parents. So absolutely, and they don't trust adults. No, and uh, they're highly manipulative at times, and uh, you know the slightest thing can trigger. So you have to be very aware. So by the you know, time I got to the therapeutic school, I was very aware of those sort of things, and uh, it's a great training ground for any any therapist. Uh, being a child care staff is a great training ground. It's interesting like I because said, I can't sing their praises enough. You said um, the kids. You said the kids are manipulative, which they are, but that's actually it could be a good and a bad. It's much more of a good than actually a bad in that they are using so much of their cognitive problem solving in order to manipulate. So when they have that ability, you can go, okay, this is a kid that I can teach other ways. I can teach him to manipulate his environment in a positive way also. Keep going. I'm sorry. Exactly. And they're trying to, what they're trying to do through manipulation, if you see it as a way of them trying to cope with themselves and take care of themselves, Mm -hmm. and then you can find out what they're trying to achieve and teach them to do it in a positive way. It can be very beneficial. Absolutely. We on the show don't actually believe in behavior problems. We believe in problems in self-advocacy, that the kid may not be able to advocate for himself in any other way except throwing a, you know, a plate across the room or hitting somebody. But it's not about that he has a problem. It's more about how he uh, uh, engages in the environment around him to survive. And these survival skills, whether we call them manipulation or he acts out all the time, I'd much rather have a manipulative acting out child who I know who they are. I mean, that's as authentic as you can be. I'm not going to hold any of this in. I'm not going to be socially, quote unquote, appropriate. I'm going to let you know exactly how I'm feeling. And I'd much rather have a kid like that than to have a kid who's withdrawn and is self-injurious and in, and maybe planning injuries for others. I'm so sorry, we have a, a quick break, and when we return from the break, we will speak more with Nancy and Anne about these issues of how we can continue to help kids. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. 
live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. So we are discussing ideas of helping kids that are dealing with traumatic events, adverse child events. We're speaking this morning with Ann Garrett and Nancy Goodell, two colleagues of mine and two long-term professionals in this field. They have written a book called TLC for for Frazzled Kids, and it is a book that, again, is about how to help children as an adult deal with trauma and deal with feeling what they titled as frazzled. They really have looked at three areas that are the most important in in assisting kids. And the first thing is you got to really get what that kid's underlying feeling is, not just look at the behavior, but know that that behavior is actually teaching you something, telling you something about the kid. You've got to set clear limits so that the kid really understands what the expectations are for him and that you're going to be there for him and be safe. And if a kid has one way of doing something, and we call it maladaptive because it's adapting to the environment, but it's not socially acceptable, it's not acceptable by others around him, then we've got to teach some new ways. We've got to teach some different ways for a kid to be able to express himself in the same way, but not feel that uh, he is... uh, Uh, not being validated because sometimes kids will feel like well if I don't scream and I don't break things nobody hears me so that triad of acknowledging feelings and setting limits and understanding what we would call a replacement behavior or a new behavior that teaches or gives the same result as the old more maladaptive behavior is the core essence of the work that Nancy and Anne have been doing and Nancy what you, you you've talked about Uh, underlying feelings in kids and how we recognize those in your book. Tell us some ideas about how we can help kids to get into that calm state. Okay. I think probably most importantly, the goal is to be able to create a trusting connection with the child or the children in, in the classroom. And there are some very basic principles that all of us can do, no matter what our level of training is. One is maintaining and engaging in eye contact. How simple is that? But in this day and age, with computers and technology, eye contact is something that where children are missing. Close proximity. Well, and eye contact is so important in social interaction 
but it can also be a trigger for agitation and for more aversive types of behavior. So when we do the eye contact, yeah, we got to be careful that it's not bringing up more instability. It can. Mhm. Mhm. And how do you find yeah. that balance? Because it yeah. really is. And you know, for years we used to work with children trying to get eye contact, and then we kind of realized, hey, some of these kids are reacting more challenging because they're stressing due to the eye contact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think you're bringing up a good point that a lot of these things with, with the children who are severely traumatized, we're talking about relationships that get built over mm-hmm. a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, as I mentioned before, calm, having a calm voice and being able to utilize, now here's a tough one based on what you have just uh, identified, but it's a part of the healing, and that's gentle touch. Mm-hmm. So important. Gentle touch is not only supportive of a child uh, developing a trusting relationship with an adult, but it also has to do with the body's ability to create body boundaries. Mm-hmm. I love in the book you discuss your your touch and that you say that even at times the kids may not even be aware that they're being touched because it becomes part of the routine of the day. It's not something that's out of the norm and that your calmness and the calm touch that you might bring to a shoulder or to the top of a head allows that individual to know that you're connected to them and you do that so often in such a calm fashion the kid doesn't even know that it's happening and I always believe that those are like the best interventions the idea that you don't really know that that thing is an intervention especially for kids because when kids think that something's therapeutic they may back off from it just thinking like well why do I have to do this so the the touch and we are in this state also of teachers shouldn't or adults shouldn't touch children well yes they shouldn't touch them inappropriately but touch is so, it's, a, it's the most human connection that there is. So right. if we don't have that human connection, how do we possibly expect the kids to have a relationship? Right. Now, Anne uh, can, can talk about the importance of language and simple sentences. And do you want to take over to talk about that because you're very, very wise in that ability. Yes, and I'd love to hear what you're what you're thinking in regards to language. I'll let you guys know that we have only a couple minutes left on the show, and we are going to have Nancy and Ann back in a couple weeks to continue our discussion because there's always so much to discuss. But we do have a few minutes left, and in those minutes, Ann, talk a little bit about language, and and even more, could you talk a little bit about your bibliotherapy and how you utilize that to help kids? Sure, Sean. First of all, with language, uh, with kids, I think it's best to keep it simple. I think it's best if you know your students or know your child and don't give uh, a child too many directions at once, especially if they're a younger child. You know, you have to be able to know, can they take three directions or once, or have you confused them by the second direction? Mm -hmm, If you want them to sit down, tie their shoes, and then go take out the trash, maybe first what you need to do is just say, why don't you sit down? Okay, now tie your shoes. Okay, great. Now we go take out the trash 
And you get a lot more done if you, instead of giving them a confusing sentence. Right, or uh, giving them all these directions and then getting angry at them for not being able to follow through on all the instructions. Exactly, and if you, in the example I just gave, I praised the child three times. Good job, okay. you tied your, you know, you sat down. Good job, you, you know, got your shoes tied. Great. Th- thanks for taking out the trash for me. Mm-hmm. So that's three positive reinforcements versus one confusing sentence for a smaller child, you know, and uh, where they, and I think that's where communication breaks down. I think we yeah. get too multi-layered in our communication. Well, just uh, from what you said, therapy, just, just from what you said, you reinforce, which is going to have the effect of increasing the likelihood of the behavior, but if the verbalage is too much and too overwhelming, it's going to be a punisher which is going to decrease the likelihood that that kid's going to interact and, and be there with you. So you've laid it out really well. Bibliotherapy, tell us a little bit about that. Bibliotherapy is something every parent can do for their own child. It's the right book for the right kid at the right time. And sometimes children are going through, say, nightmares at night. You can go to your children's library and say, do you have any book about kids having nightmares? And then you can read these books to your kid, and uh, they can see themselves reflected in the pages so that they don't feel that they are the only one going through this. And there's such a range of books that children's librarians know about. So, I mean, there's, um, I mean, books on every topic you can imagine where characters have dealt with the problems your child may be having or uh, situations in classrooms. From bullying to bedwetting to nightmares to feeling alone to not, you know, not learning quick enough to having other kids ahead of you to uh, not liking your hair. Um, Right. These are these are issues that the so sorry. These are issues that the kids are dealing with constantly. And what you had said is the concept of universalism by them understanding that other people have dealt with the same issues and uh, that they are. They don't feel alone. They don't feel that they are uh, the only ones in this world that have dealt with this. Guys, I'm so happy exactly. to have had you, I'm so happy to have had you on the show today. Unfortunately, the time has ended. We will get you back on again very soon to discuss more interventions, ideas, really get into the concepts of bibliotherapy and into more calm therapeutic support. So Nancy and Anne, thank you so very, very much. Remember, yeah, remember that on strategies and solutions, taking on the challenge of Dr. Sean, we are about your successes and know that each day can be a new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.